Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the Venture Fizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. Okay, huge, huge day today. We are hitting a major milestone. We are at episode 100. There's no doubt the VentureFizz podcast is the top podcast focused on entrepreneurship and tech across Boston and New York. Before I introduce today's guests, I do want to take a quick moment to say some thank yous. I want to say thank you to Christina Luconi, Chief Peep Officer at Rapid7, for being my very first guest and her willingness to experiment. All of our guests for taking the time to share your background stories and all the amazing advice for others, including myself, to learn from. Alex Kalafi. Alex does a lot of different things here at VentureFizz, but it was his knowledge in the world of podcasting that allowed us to start creating this amazing content. And of course, you, our audience, for listening to all these great stories. I hope each episode has provided you with maybe a little bit of inspiration and some helpful tips that you can apply to your own business. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, on to our 100th episode. For this milestone episode, I was excited to interview Wambi Rose and John Wise, the founders of Love Pop. I first learned about Love Pop through TJ Mahoney, who made an investment in the company, and it was one of those no-brainer ideas that immediately resonated with me. The greeting card industry was in need of disruption, and Wambi and John's background in naval architecture made them uniquely qualified to tackle this market. Love Pop creates beautiful laser-cut pop-up cards, and the company is on a mission to create one billion magical moments. You might have seen Love Pop on ABC's Shark Tank when they landed an investment from Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, who is still very involved in the company today. Since then, Love Pop has done an amazing job building a consumer brand and scaling the company. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like Wambi and John's background, including how they met in college and reunited at Harvard Business School, the inspiration behind their product and a deep dive into the history of the company, how Love Pop's business was built from the ground up and lessons learned along the way, the whole Shark Tank experience and what it has meant for the company, advice for founders looking to build a consumer brand, how the company determines whether a potential hire will be a good fit, plus a lot more. Okay, quick side note, Brex, the corporate credit card for startups, is the sponsor for this week's podcast. Brex founders Henrique and Pedro built a payments business in Brazil, but kept getting rejected for a corporate credit card when they were in Y Combinator. So they decided to build Brex with instant online signup, no founder liability required, and limits 10 to 20 times higher than standard cards. It is a must-have for entrepreneurs. Sign up for Brex at brex.com, B-R-E-X.com, and get card fees waived by entering the code FIZZ, F-I-Z-Z, during signup. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Wami and John. Wami and John, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Excited to chat. Yeah, uh, we have so much to talk about. Uh, Love Pop is such an amazing company and brand. And I noticed you recently celebrated your five-year anniversary, which is quite an accomplishment. Kudos to you guys. Thank you. Yeah, really fun. Well, within that, you know, there was a blog post that was written that said there's been 11,500,000 plus magical moments. Uh, Quite extraordinary. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's one of the coolest things about um, about the company is every time when we sell a product, um, you know, there's a customer having a real magical moment that they're creating for somebody in their life. And um, I think it's, it's, it's one of the most fun things about what we do. That's so cool. Well, we're going to go deep into Love Pop and, you know, we've got a lot of great stories to share here, but let's go way back to uh, each of your backgrounds. So, uh, Wambi, why don't you start off with, uh, you know, things you were doing uh, earlier as a kid, you know, what were you like as a kid? Where'd you grow up? And then uh, obviously some of the foundational stuff. 
Cool, sure. So um, I was born in Berlin. Uh, my mom and her family are actually from Berlin, and my dad's family is from Columbus, Ohio. And so I was born in Berlin, grew up there, and then moved to Pittsburgh. Uh, so I grew up in Pittsburgh. And um, after high school, I was looking at colleges, and I ended up um, finding out about this really cool place called Webb Institute, which is um, a school for naval architecture and marine engineering. But I got excited about it because they had sent me this postcard with a sailboat on it said, what floats your boat? Like civil engineering, math. And I, you know, I was interested in engineering, so I went to visit, and it's this old mansion on, um, on Long Island Sound. And the whole school has full tuition scholarships for everyone who gets in. You do a two-month internship every winter. Um, I worked in a boatyard building luxury yachts, sailed on a chemical tanker, worked in Singapore and Shanghai. And so it was just, I fell in love with this place. It was so cool. And so um, that's where I went to college. And that's actually how I met John in 2005. And then John, how did you end up at the Webb Institute? Yep. So I grew up in rural South Carolina in a small town, very small town of Walhalla, which is near Clemson, Greenville, kind of in the mountains of the state. Um, really, really amazing place to grow up. My family is in the outdoors industry. So I grew up on the river and hiking. Um, and But then I also, through high school, got involved in our local robotics club and really come to came to appreciate engineering. And I kind of decided engineering was what I wanted to do. And even as I think about myself now, I, I am an engineer pretty through and through. Um, and so I heard about this little school called Webb Institute. I was looking at kind of the local state schools in South Carolina, but because of the full tuition scholarship, because of the uniqueness in size, and because it's naval architecture, and I also just love boats, um, it felt like an absolutely amazing fit. And so I said yes, and I went to Webb, or I got in, and I went to Webb, and that's where I met Wambi. Um, and so we have known each other now for 14 years, something like that, wow. um, which has been really, really amazing. So Love Pops, five years. Um, but we knew each other nine or 10 years before that. And were we, you guys, did you met and became friends immediately at, at the Webb Institute? Yeah, so um, Webb is a very small school. I think Bobby mentioned it, but we graduated with 18 uh, people total in our oh, class. Wow. Okay, so really, really small. So there are less than 100 students in the entire school combined. So we just broke 100. We just we had like 104 this last year. Yeah. It's like a very, very unique and very, very small place. And so yes, day one, I got to know Bobby pretty well. Yeah, you got to <laughs> but, know everyone really well. Exactly. <laughs> By the end of four years, we had a really, really close connection between us and between the rest of our classmates. And then once you guys graduated, you went your different ways. Uh, so where did you guys kind of go and then it veered back together again? So if you could tell that story. Sure. sure. So, um, you know, we had done, by the time we graduated, um, I had done five internships, which were amazing. And I think it's one of the coolest things about the school. But none of them had been places where I knew I wanted to dive in into a career right away. Um, but I was really fascinated by this concept that when you design a ship, there's so much history involved and there's so much risk on every new design that... Um, generally, you kind of go with what has been done before and just make little tweaks. And so I was really curious to see, could we use computers um, to, to kind of model some of those design changes earlier and, and use optimization 
techniques to understand what changes we could make without having to build a whole nother ship. And so um, I found this really cool program at MIT called Computation for Design and Optimization. Uh, and I joined and I, I, was, I was very excited to, to work on this kind of question because of the industry. And what I found quickly was that what I was actually studying was Greek symbols and proving mathematical equations, which was also fun, but I was not as good at, um, although I really enjoyed learning about um, mixed integer linear programming, linear optimization, which was kind of my specialty. I used it for offshore support vessels and um, doing logistics and routing for fleets and allocations. But in that process, I did this internship and I met, um, I met a consultant who was running a workshop for a group down in Houston at ExxonMobil where I was doing an internship. And it was just so cool because he got to spend all day getting everybody in the room to work together, fill out flip charts with frameworks. And then afterwards, everyone went back to their day job. But as the intern, I got to run around and you know, get people to do all the things they really wanted to do, but didn't have any time for. So that's how I, I learned about consulting and I fell in love with it. And then I, joined McKinsey out of MIT after my master's and traveled around the world helping uh, big companies with hard problems. Every, everything was different, but it was super fun. How about you, John? I took a pretty different approach. So rather than big company, I joined a very, very small company. I, was, I also had learned how to design boats and I was very excited to put it into practice. And so I joined a company in rural Louisiana um, that was building boats for the Coast Guard and the Navy. And I joined as kind of the first full-time engineer um, working on their different programs. We had three different programs at the time. These are 20 to 40-foot high-speed patrol boats. So it's the kind of boats that you see zipping around the harbor um, for the Coast Guard. Coast Guard, yeah. Zipping out Coast Guard, exactly. Um, the, I really learned how to just get things done in a really scrappy environment really fast. So the way that we kind of really got our edge is we would – completely custom design a boat and we kind of start from a proposal and then we'd say, okay, we have six months to actually build it because they like it, but how do we actually put this all together in six months and then deliver a boat that floats? And so I learned everything about how to kind of do really rapid development, how to do all the engineering, how to do the design work, interface with the production team. Um, and then eventually I started managing people and managing the different design processes um, and so it's a really amazing opportunity for me to learn. We won a very significant contract for the uh, U.S. Coast Guard while I was there. Um, but I was getting very, very good at engineering and at designing small boats. Um, and I was looking to the management of the, of the team and of the company and thinking about how do I get involved in those conversations? I think I was really excited by the opportunity to have more impact um, and so I was thinking about what's next and I applied to business school. I applied to a handful of business schools and was very fortunate to get into Harvard business school. Um, and I was like, okay, well that seems like a good, good option. I get that. Um, and I actually called Wambi up and was very excited and he had helped me with some of my application and, um, said, you should think about coming too. Cause I think this would be a really interesting opportunity for us to work together, get to live in the same city again and, um, explore starting a business together. And that, that was actually a question that I had. I, I wanted, wanted I mean, obviously a small school and then you guys went different ways, but came back together at HBS. Uh, so was it with that intent of, hey, we want to do something together, maybe build a company someday? Yes. So John, when he, he called me, I was in Australia. 
was working on liquefied natural gas uh, projects. And he called me and he mentioned that he got in, he was very excited about it. And he convinced me to apply, which was round two at that point, with that intention exactly of if I make it in, then I would come back to Boston, we would go to school, we would have that time to find a business that we wanted to start. Um, and so that was the intention. It's crazy it worked out that way, um, but that was what we were going for, yes. And I was really lucky to get in as well, and so then we were able to do it. So at, at HBS, um, obviously an amazing, um, you know, two years, and, uh, you know, you learn so much, but there is such an entrepreneurial spirit that's part of HBS these days, uh, especially with things like the Harvard Innovation Lab. But the, so before you came up with the idea for what is now Love Pop, like were there some earlier ideas that you were tossing around? Uh, yeah, we, so even before HBS, we had designed a solar boat together that we thought was really cool. Um, but it, it went under 10 knots and was going to be extremely expensive. And so we realized no one would ever buy this boat. And so we kind of shelved that. I think we had four or five other ideas before we got to school. And then while at HBS, we were exploring liquefied natural gas trucking. We were exploring industrial fish farming. Um, I think there are a handful of other um, ideas that we explored, but ultimately um, we were in Vietnam for a, a field two, which is one of their immersion programs. So you, they send you to an emerging economy and we were in Vietnam um, and we came across this style of art and we were just blown away. We're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like you can make anything with this. It's very similar to the way that you design a boat in the sense that um, when you design a boat, you have this 3D shape and you slice it into planes and where those planes, um, you know, intersect, that's where you draw the lines and it's a lines plan. And so that's kind of exactly what happens here. Instead of cutting out, you know, large pieces of steel or aluminum, you actually cut out pieces of paper. And so kind of from day one, we, we understood the engineering behind it. And then we just really fell in love with the style and the concept. So when did you actually start? applying that idea to build a business like did you come home and say okay let's try to figure out if we can make these cards on our own with a 3d printer or like however you created the first prototypes it was a combination we brought some back with us from vietnam we thought they were really amazing and we're like oh, i wonder if other people like them too and people did and people thought they were really cool and we pulled them out of our backpacks and everyone's like oh what's that oh well, that's cool and so we did immediately recognize like oh yeah well there's people like this um, and that's really cool. And then we learned more about the industry. We learned that it's a giant industry that hasn't really innovated in many, many years. We learned more about the purpose of greeting cards and kind of what sometimes feels like an obligation or become an obligation actually is this really important message or an ability to communicate and connect with the people you care about. And so kind of it, it did start checking all the boxes of this could be a really big opportunity this is actually a really meaningful thing to take on and people love it. Then we did learn a lot and we kind of realized our backgrounds, we know how to design these. And as we tried to find other people to help us, it was funny in the beginning as in tech, everyone's like platform it, like find people who can design it. And we're like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll try. But like, we actually had a really hard time finding people who could design them. And we're like, we can design them. Why can't, why can't everyone design them? And it is because of our naval, arch naval architecture background. It's like this really unique, combination of skill sets that has enabled us to kind of evolve the form factor and what we have now. Yeah. So obviously that was like your, um, you know, your defensible knowledge that most entrepreneurs <laughs> couldn't just start a greeting card company doing what you are doing. And right. 
when I, I'll never forget when I he- first heard about Love Pop was from TJ Mahoney. And uh, it was one Not of those, surprising. <laughs> it was one of those no-brainer light bulb moments where I'm like, May and June are the colossal storm of Klein greeting cards sitting in the aisle at a CVS or a Hallmark store for, you know, my daughter's birthday, my wife's birthday, our anniversary, Mother's Day. You know, there's just this colossal storm of, uh, of uh, you know, great things to celebrate over those two months. And I despise sitting in those aisles because <laughs> you look at these cards, I'm like, this does not speak my language. It's, you know, uh, you know it's a piece of paper that has uh, really no meaning. It's expensive. And I would rather um, do something that is more of, uh, you know, that wow factor. So when, when TJ told me that, I was just like, yes, the, the, the greeting card industry needs to be disrupted. So uh, it's been awesome just to see the progress you guys have made. Yeah. And I think, you know, the most, the most fun part of it um, for me, it's that, it's that wonder, right? Like, um, you know, when you look at a love pop, it's just fun. And I love nothing more than coming in every day and seeing the new designs that the design team is making. And um, it's always been kind of my just excitement and passion around the business, but also in, in life, I, I used to do a lot of crafting and just for every, every celebration occasion, whether it was Christmas or someone's birthday um, and, and still do. And I think that's just like, it's, it's such a fun expression where we can actually make that available to everyone. All right. So building a greeting card company isn't easy to do building a consumer brand. How did you get started and, you know, actually start selling them? And then obviously you had this big moment on television. Yeah. I mean, in the very beginning, it was just, you know, one foot in front of the other. And, you know, we would go to fairs and markets. We were out uh, south of Washington Avenue, Sowa Market, which was an incredible place to meet customers. Um, then we, uh, I did a cold email into the folks who run South Station. Um, and, you know, two weeks later, I think February 2nd of 2015, we were in there with, with a stand that Colin, our head of retail, had built in his parents' garage for like $2,000 from Home Depot lumber <laughs> um, and painted it and put a vinyl backdrop on it. And we were there with the table and we had like 10 designs on it. And um, that was our very first like kind of uh, scalable-ish uh, sales channel. And so um, it kind of began with that. And then we just, we just kept, um, you know, kept, kept finding new avenues for getting our, getting our product in the hands of our customers. Um, and so we opened our website early, um, actually on April Fool's Day of 2014, um, and and then we kept growing that. And then in December of 2015, as you alluded to, we aired on Shark Tank, um, which was which was one of the coolest experiences. Um, and really, so how did that come together? So what, like, so, you know, obviously they do, they do uh, you know different casting calls or whatever they called you know for people to try to pitch and be on the show. But how did that entry actually happen? Uh, so they came to the Harvard Innovation Lab, which is where we were kind of working out of in between classes. And we met them quite early um, and we weren't a, quite a good fit. And then we, we met them again and we had built a business at that point. It was pretty exciting. 
And so kind of one thing led to another and very quickly we found ourselves on the soundstage in, um, in Culver City, um, California. And so, um, you know, we were, we were there and then the whole experience was, was pretty much just like it looks like on TV. Um, and there's I mean, no like pre like pitch. You just like, you're in just like on the show, you're behind those doors, they open up and you're like, boom, let's go pitch the sharks. Yup, almost exactly like that. And you know, you're standing behind the doors and it's super scary. They open the doors, you walk in, they take some pictures and then it's off to the races. And you know, it, I, I mean, I have to say the way that they edited the segment, it almost perfectly captures the feeling and all of the conversation that happened while we were on the set. Yeah, cause they obviously have to narrow down the segment to have it, you know, be a you know, a forum for TV. I, from what I understand, obviously, there's more questions that are typically asked throughout the uh, the interview. But so, um, you know, obviously, you guys did a great job, and you landed, you know, a, you know, Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary as an investor. So, 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 what, what's that been like? You know, working with him. Uh, you know, every time I swear I see a recap of past <laughs> companies on Shark Tank, Love Pop is always there. So, uh, it just seems like ABC, ABC has also been a strong supporter too. Kevin and ABC have been really, really great. So Kevin as an investor is really sharp, really knows his stuff. Um, interestingly knows consumer because he has a bunch of different businesses in this space, which even we didn't fully appreciate going in. Um, he also really understands media and he's really like in our camp and he's really helpful as we try to do more and broaden our reach. Um, so we've absolutely loved having him on the team. He was at our first inline store opening just a few weeks ago. He was in Oculus. So we still engage with them and work with them kind of all the time. Um, so it's been a really cool kind of part of our story to have him integrated with us. And did the Shark Tank appearance be a massive, just, you know, a flooding the website type of situation that led to other, cause you've been on lots of different, uh, you know, television appearances, you know, the view of good morning America, you, you know, you've done your QVC segments. So was this like the, the platform that helped you get to that next level of branding and awareness? Definitely. I mean, Shark Tank put us in front of seven and a half million Americans in the span of like 10 minutes. So um, it definitely was a large uh, surge of uh, traffic on the website. I think we had something like 10,000 emails um, come in in that in that day. Um, and we were on the phones until like three in the morning um, with 10 people at a time. So it was it was, it was pretty intense. Um, and then definitely, I think one of the coolest things about Shark Tank is it's a personification of the American dream. And so it's really relevant to everybody in the country. And it's one of the most genuine ways for people to get to know you because you, you, they know you're on the spot. And so it's very, you know, it's very authentic and you get to really know the people and how they react under pressure and hear the story and so I think, you know, I can't imagine a better way for us to, to, to tell our story to, to, to the country or the world. Yeah, and I agree the the program is so well done and it's just a good, you know, family program too. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, my girls, like we watch that all the time and it just it teaches them, you know, if you have an idea, you can actually go forward and hopefully build a company and get, you know, great investors to, uh, to back it. Now you guys have continued to scale and you just, alluded to, you know, a major retail store in, in New York City, correct? 
Yes. Yeah. We just opened in Hudson Yards. Wow. Um, which is one of the biggest real estate developments um, in the country, uh, roughly $20 billion um, development. And so we opened our first freestanding uh, retail store. So we, we've always had a physical presence since we opened in South Station um, through kiosks in, in various um, high traffic locations. But this is our first experience with four walls. Uh, so very new to us um, and very exciting. And um, the story has done phenomenally well. Um, like John mentioned, Kevin O'Leary came to do the opening with us, which was really fun and cool for all of our brand ambassadors there. But um, just a, a really new kind of take that allows us to do a lot more in the store than we can do in kind of the smaller kiosk environment. And how did you figure out like the design of that physical store? Because I saw the pictures and it's absolutely beautiful. We have a team, so we kind of, from the beginning of Love Pop have, we design really little, beautiful paper cards, and we also design kiosks and really large installations. Um, we even did a partnership with Henri Bendel two years ago, where we kind of did this chandelier of butterflies in their atrium. Um, and so we've actually gotten pretty good at doing design at all different scales, and so this, kind of inline retail, retail location is a culmination of all of that work and building a really experiential um, place to kind of interact with our brand and our products. Um, yeah, so we're super excited about it. The other thing that you've accomplished, you've built out uh, partnerships or, or you know, you know, different um, deals that helped you with, um, you know, working with, you know, Billboard Music, you know, you were, you know, the, the actual... Um, you know, when they announced the winner, it was a love pop card. Uh, you know, you work with, you know, Disney and all these amazing uh, brands. How are you able to build out those, you know, partnership licensing deals? Yeah, it, you know, it started with the Beatles um, who, who reached out to us. They re um, I guess the Beatles is probably one of the hardest to get, I would think, because they're so protective of their brand. Yeah, so we, we, had, we had made a, a yellow submarine design um, and hadn't really even thought about licensing or anything. And they saw it and they're like, it, you know, Beatles, uh, Yellow Submarine 50th anniversary is coming up next year. Um, do you want to actually create a licensed design with us? And so they sent us a, a packet of, um, of kind of merchandising guidelines and everything and said, let's, you know, let's explore this. And so we called them up. We um, worked, um, worked with their team and, um, came out with a whole uh, line of really, really amazing designs for Abbey Road and Yellow Submarine, Sgt. Pepper, um, Help, and uh, Magical Mystery Tour. And then we have a new one coming out soon, which I'm very excited about. I don't want to share what it is yet, but it's going to be really fun. Um, and then, you know, it kind of went from there. And, and so we, we started working with Game of Thrones. We started working with Star Wars. Um, which is which has been a really cool one. Game of Thrones, obviously, super timely right now. Um, uh, here we got like yeah, Daenerys um, on Drogon. Um, oh, that's it. The X Wing, um, and then we just um, you know we worked with Jurassic World last year. Um, that was really cool. Going to their movie premiere um, out in LA, and then um, you know most recently have started launching Marvel designs. And there's a couple more really cool ones coming. Uh, so just stay tuned uh, for some more licenses. Okay, awesome. Scaling the company, you've raised 
rounds of venture capital funding. What, uh, what was that process like as far as going out and, and, and raising capital for your company? I mean, it, it's, it's always so fun to be on the road, telling your story, um, finding people who are, who are as passionate as you are about what you're doing. Um, of course, it takes a lot to build a company like this, especially just given how, how deeply we are integrated into our supply chain. So we, we have a wholly owned um, subsidiary where we do all of our production in Da Nang in Vietnam that we started with one person it is now 500 people. Um, we do all of our own design. We do all of our own um, uh, marketing. We do our own sales. We do our, it's just technology development. Um, you know, product managers. It's like you name a function, and Lovehop has it. And so um, it's been pretty extensive kind of build to build a company. And I, I think we've I've always had a lot of fun finding new partners to be a part of that. What's the plan moving forward? Uh, you know, whether it's growth of hiring and uh, you know, in 2019, like what are you expecting as far as growth growth of the team? Yeah, so we're. I mean, there's a couple senior roles that I think are really critical to keep moving us forward. I, hiring a chief marketing officer. Um, we'll be hiring a CFO. We'll be hiring a chief design officer. So I think those are the three kind of really big roles that we want to fill the team out with. Um, and then of course, we're always looking for artists to collaborate with on our designs. Um, we're always looking for software engineers, product designers, um, you name it. But um, kind of as we look into the future, the big, um, the big push for us as a brand is into what we call making every occasion magical. And right now we have this amazing, um, amazing design um, that is, is, is super fun and great for many occasions, but we've also found that our customers want something for smaller occasions. They want something for bigger occasions. And so our new product development um, team is really um, starting to address some of those and you'll see a lot more new products from us in both of those categories coming out. Got it. Okay, so more, stay tuned, more to come. More to come and, and kind of, you know, in that same vein, it's about helping you with your occasions. So we want to make sure that you can always, you know, quickly send a thoughtful and creative gift. And what we found in all of our research is that everyone wants to do more. Um, and it's hard because it's hard to come up with something that's creative and thoughtful. That's kind of the number one challenge people have with giving. Um, and second, it takes time and no one has time. And so, you know, between those two challenges, that, those are the ones that we want to help you with, both with, you know, helping you, you know, remind you of those occasions. Tell us when your mom's birthday is and we'll make sure you don't miss it. We'll make it super easy and fast to do something that's creative and thoughtful where, you know, what you do is related to your relationship. And I think that's where we have you know, such a great product line that enables you to pick the right card. So you know, if your mom had a Japanese maple in her front yard, this would be perfect. If she loves dragonflies, we've got that. And then you know, add a little personalization. You can now add a photo. Um, you can add text into the slide out note. And so we're actually able to just make it very easy and quick to do something really meaningful. That is really cool. I like how you can personalize that. That's amazing. Now, you're hiring for, you know, you mentioned three leadership roles that are, you know, uh, you know, 
each position sounds amazing. I want to focus on the CMO role though. What, like talk about an amazing opportunity for someone to come in that has a, you know, established business, a brand that, you know, is, you know, has such widespread adoption. Um, who do you think would be successful in that type of role as far as a background of the person? Yeah, really good question. I, I think, I think it's really, it's really someone who understands, um, who understands people. Um, I think that's the, the biggest and most important part because, um, you know, I, I always think about what is the, you know, what is the thought process that our customer is going through as they make a decision um, to do something special for someone? And then how do they choose Love Pop? And then how do they remember that Love Pop is a place they can come back to whenever they have an occasion in their life? And I think someone who really understands that, someone who has a background scaling a business, because this is a very big idea. Um, and yet you need to be able to communicate it succinctly. So someone who has developed, you know, those value propositions and really hone, like, how do we tell this story in a way that the customer can quickly understand um, and quickly understand that it's not, you know, you're not buying a laser cut piece of paper, although that is very cool. Um, you know, you're buying something that helps you connect with someone else um, and do it through this unique form of art. Got it. Okay. What about building a consumer brand? What, what advice would you give to other founders that are trying to, you know, accomplish something similar of building a, a brand for consumers? Yeah, I, I think, you know, number one is relationship with the customer. Um, and I think, you know, we've, we've invested a lot from the very beginning of making sure that we're really responsive, that we take care of any issues in our business, the biggest issue um, we, we run into is shipping uh, because you're always on a deadline for an occasion and sometimes it just doesn't get there in time. Um, and for us, we've always taken the opinion that even if that's not our fault, we need to fix it. Um, and you can't fully fix it, right? You've missed the occasion. So there's not always, sometimes we can still overnight something and get it there in time. Um, but often if you purchase something from us last minute and it misses, it's whatever we can do. So I think we've taken that approach. I think the other pieces have a great product and really invest in the product because ultimately that's what people are coming to you for. And that's what you're getting known for. Um, and so we've put a lot of energy into the quality of the design, the quality of the materials, the quality of the execution all the way around, just so that, um, people associate that with our brand. I think that's the most amazing thing for me as I have learned and as we both learned how to build this consumer brand. It's not about the ad agency creatives. It's really about what you make and what you do and how you operate. And if you do those in a way that's authentic to you and authentic to what you're trying to build as a company, the band, the brand actually kind of just happens. You do need a mark and it's pretty good. You do need a name and it's pretty good. But otherwise, it's really all about how you execute and how you kind of operate the business and develop your products. And John, how did you figure out that whole supply and demand, the production aspect of the not overproducing or underproducing? How did you balance that? It is um, one step at a time. As with everything, when you're building a business, you take it one step at a time. Um, we made very early, well, we didn't talk about in those early years when we're selling at fairs and markets and we were applying for Shark Tank and launched the website. 
I was flying back and forth to Vietnam <laughs> and meeting people and figuring out how are we going to scale this operation and scale it in a way that's sustainable and in a way that's aligned with how we want to operate. Um, we made a really early investment that we didn't even fully appreciate how valuable it would be um, in an individual and in kind of the idea of building our facility on our own in Vietnam. And so we, in 2015, um, opened our facility in Vietnam with a guy named Bao. He, we, I had met him designing cards kind of in Vietnam and built a, a friendship and asked him one day, do you think we could open a factory? He said, yes. And it kind of went from there. And one day, you know, we opened with him and four people that he had hired to help us kind of assemble and put together cards. And having now reflecting back on that and having built that organization kind of along the way in parallel with our company, it has created a significant value for us because we're totally integrated in our, into our supply chain. And so when we want to try designing a new product, it's really frictionless to do so. You don't have to worry about negotiating rates. You know, we're all on one team. Um, and then when we think about how we want to implement our ordering systems and how we want to uh, do our inventory management, it also is really easy and seamless um, because we're under one roof. And we actually, other fun reference to web, um, we have five web graduates working under the roof of Love Pop. So we have about 90 people in our office and five of them went to undergrad, <laughs> with, including Wami and I, five of us went to web. Um, one of which is a PhD uh, in ship design who is now applying a lot of those techniques into our algorithms to actually place the orders and know what are forecasting for our SKU distribution and such things. That's so cool. Awesome that you can hire some great alum from, from the uh, great institution of web. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> now, what, what, now, building a business is, is not easy. So there's obviously some bumps and bruises along the way. What have been some of the, the lessons learned that, uh, that you remember? Yeah, I, I think one of, the, one, of the biggest, one of the biggest lessons that we learned um, relatively early was when we tried to expand our, our retail model beyond our initial success in South Station and Faneuil Hall and even Prudential Center, and we, we hired a, a, a great industry executive with a lot of experience opening retail. We expanded out um, and we just didn't get the performance that we were expecting. And I think what we learned was, you know, you know, false positives and, you know, how to really think much more critically about the data points that we have and what they really mean. Um, and it turned out there are just so many more variables at play that we hadn't fully understood um, when we made our conclusions. And so I think that's a really important um, lesson that's valuable for, for kind of any business building process in the sense that you're always gonna have false positives, you're always gonna have false negatives. It's very important to kind of let go of your own um, you know, perspective in, in, in pursuit of the truth of what is really going on. And, um, I think that's been a very important lesson for both of us that we continue to relearn, um, <laughs> over and over. And like every time we learn it just a little bit more, cause I, I think you have to live things to really learn them. So we've lived this a, a handful of times now where we think we know something and then it turns out not to be true because we've missed some piece of the equation. So I think that's probably a big one. And then the other 
classic, but I'll say it anyways, is people are everything. And having the right people in the right roles totally accelerates um, any initiative that you're working on. And having the wrong person in the wrong role totally decelerates any initiative that you're working on. And so I think we similarly have learned that over and over again. Um, and it's just so important to keep central. And then as you scale your organization, you have to then make sure everyone in the organization understands that. It, it actually doesn't have to. That's the big challenge. Now, it, it doesn't, the founders understanding that isn't enough. You actually need then your senior leadership team and your management team to really understand um, how we define success and how we think about, it's also not just work output, but it's also values alignment and cultural alignment. Um, and really capturing all those dimensions is so important. Hiring is obviously important and making <laughs> the right eyes. <laughs> do, do you have a, is there like a go-to interview question you have that helps kind of set the stage for thinking if this person is going to be a fit for your team? We have a, a whole set of them. Um, you know, I think the, the, we, we, we were very closely tied to the, I'm sure you're familiar with um, Jeff Smart and Who, um, which is a big part of our our methodology for hiring. So I think the the best answer is if it's in Who, um, it's our go-to <laughs> interview questions. There's a there's another one that we really like that I, we can't take credit for. I think it actually came from General Assembly, where our head of people came from. But is in an early screening interview to ask, tell us about something where that went horribly wrong and it was totally your fault um, because it really gets at, do they have the awareness? And I think that's one of the key factors that we are finding in people that are successful in our organization and our scaling organization is do you have the awareness to know where you're strong and where you're not? Cause if you do, then like we can build around you and we can help develop you and we'll get kind of where we need to go. And if you don't, that's when it becomes, um, challenging and harder to actually figure out how this works as the company continues to grow. Um, yeah, you guys are really busy building a company. So I would imagine this question is pretty limited, but I still like to ask it anyways. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like to do outside of work when you do have some free time? I've, I play soccer once a week. It's awesome. It's really fun. Um, and um, I'm, I'm so thankful to, the people who organize this team, it's like, uh, it's awesome. Um, and then um, just cooking, hanging out with my brother, my girlfriend, that's, that's about the extent of what's possible. So I have Love Pop, and then I have a 14 month old at home. Oh, you so do? Okay. I basically, I'm pretty, that is, <laughs> takes up most of my allocation, um, but it's really awesome. I absolutely love um, having my wife and kid, and it's been so fun. That's so it's been actually uh, easier than I thought to actually manage both, which has been really cool. And I get to be like a, a pretend uncle. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool. Obviously, um, Love Pop is hiring, right? So, um, you know, if you are interested in looking at opportunities at Love Pop, you can go to their biz page on VentureFizz, which is VentureFizz.com backslash Love Pop and see a list of their openings there or you could go direct to their career site. But uh, Wambi and John, thanks so much for sharing this great story and background. And uh, I'm really excited to see the future ahead for Love Pop. Uh, thank you so much, Keith. For sure. Really enjoyed it. Really great.
Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.